Uh, we're going to start uh, into a familiar part of uh, the book of Ephesians, probably one that if you grew up in the church, you've heard a lot of, maybe uh, even starting as, as children, you, you heard a ton about the armor of God. And uh, we're going to start this particular section of the book, but I was uh, away last week, I took a, a little vacation, hung out with some friends of mine from around the country. One of them came all the way from northern Maine, where they're still shoveling snow, uh, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's piled up. They had 140 inches of snow this, this winter, uh, six months that, uh, for straight that they just had snow all the time on the ground. When it gets that high, uh, it just takes a long time for it to leave. And uh, I grew up in that. I grew up uh, going to elementary school uh, where the playground was completely buried. Uh, there was, there was, you couldn't use the swing sets. It was just the snow just covered everything. And so what we would do at recess uh, in my elementary years is, is we would be creative. We, we had to get, you know, the, 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 you know the, the restlessness out of us. And so for the 40 minutes that we had recess, we would go play a game called King of the Mountain. And they would push all the snow in our, in our uh, playground uh, up against, you know, the sides, and these huge mountains were left in its place. Like we're talking 10, 15, sometimes 20-foot snowdrifts. Uh, and, and they would kind of freeze a little bit, not too much, to, the, to where it was dangerous. All parents, just, you know, be calm here. But uh, us little boys would go up on these, these huge mountains, and it was a simple game. You would get your squad, four or five of you, and they would start at the top of the mountain, and every other kid in fourth grade would try to knock you off. That was the whole game. Just, and, and, and if you were knocked off, then guess what? They were the king of the mountain. And then you would go back up, and you would try to knock them off, and you do this for 40 minutes, and then you go back to school. That's how we, that's how we hung out. <laughs> it was a game of defense. You just kind of had to have your head on a swivel. You had to stand your ground and keep those around you from taking it. And we're going to talk about standing our ground today. Uh, not on the top of a big snow mound, but standing our ground in the spiritual realm. This is where we find ourselves at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, Paul wants the Ephesians and all of us as Christ followers who read this epistle to be ready to defend ourselves against the spiritual enemies of God. You can read with me where we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 6. It says this in verse 10, finally, and this word finally means in light of everything that I've said so far, as, as, as we close out, I want you to reflect on everything that I've told you, and we're going to briefly review some of those things. But he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Anybody read these verses before? Yeah, they're common. They're, they're well known in the church. We're going to go over them again. But they come here at the end of this letter that Paul wrote because they wrap up, uh, uh, they bring us to a, a termination here of his thinking, because here's how he started. If you don't know, the, the, basically the book of Ephesians is, is three parts. The first three chapters are all about the doctrines of God. Uh, we started back in September with a series called Woohoo. Is anybody here for Woohoo? We sang uh, Cool in the Gang song celebration every week as I walked up here. Uh, but, but the book of Ephesians opens with the blessings of God. It says, you know, uh, blessed be the God who has blessed us with everything. Uh, all the, the, the possible things that we could have in the heavenly realms. He's, he's just blessed us. He, he blessed us with our adoptions as sons and daughters. He, he blessed us with our redemption through the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he blessed us with an inheritance that awaits us in heaven. We talked about that as we uh, witnessed the Bema. We moved from that series to a series called Power Up. And right there at the end of chapter 1, 
uh, in the book of Ephesians as Paul's explaining for us these important truths of our doctrine. Uh, he, he prays. He says, listen, my friends in Ephesus, I pray for you guys all the time. And I pray principally these things. He says in verse 18 of Ephesians 1, he says, I pray that your eyes and your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he, God, has called you, and that you might know what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, this future that we have in him, and that you may know what is, get this, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness, (coughs) excuse me, of his power towards us. His immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, this is where Jesus exists now, he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. As Paul starts explaining our God and God's son, Jesus, to us. He says, I, I, want you to, I want you to know about our hope. I want you to know about what we have in him, but I want you to understand his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature. Our Savior Jesus is not to be trifled with. He has been uh, vested in by the Father with power, uh, immeasurable greatness in power, and he has infused us who believe in him with that power. Uh, We have power in Christ to face everything that this world throws at us, including the schemes of our adversary, Satan. Jesus is our ringer. I used to play basketball in college at a little school in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. It actually became the practice place for all the professional teams that would come and play the Chicago Bulls during the years of Michael Jordan's play. And so I would sneak into the gym and actually watch these professional teams you know, uh, play, uh, you know, or practice before they played the Bulls. And, uh, and then the gym would reopen, and me and my friends would go in, and we would actually use the gym at our school and play basketball. I always wondered or dreamed uh, what it would be like if, uh, if one of those players, or even Jordan himself, the man, had come to the gym to maybe say hi to some of his friends who were on the other teams. That would have never happened back then. What am I talking about? Jordan hated everybody. Anyway, uh, But just let's pretend, if Jordan had come into the gym and he was wearing his workout stuff and he just decided somehow that he was gonna play basketball with the rest of us. I mean, anybody ever play a sport and and like the the, the apex predator, you know, came and played a game with you, would that be cool for you guys? Never happened, never would, just so we're clear. But I have a sense that whoever got Jordan on their team, game over. I mean, for everybody else playing, I mean, it would just be done before it started because Jordan, when it came to basketball at that time, would certainly have been the ultimate ringer. He so far exceeds uh, everybody else in his skills uh, that the game's done before it gets started. That's, that's who we have in Christ. It doesn't even begin to compare. Uh, he's way better than Jordan. But that's who we have in Christ. And this is crucial for us to understand the power that you and I as Christians have in Christ. It's crucial uh, for a couple reasons. One, because it's through his power and through the, 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 the presence of his spirit in us that we are able to go on and apply uh, the things that we need to apply from what we know about him. So God's this great, amazing God who blesses us with everything in the heavenly realms. Uh, but, but that means that we should live a certain way. And that's what chapters four and five in Ephesians are about. It's about the deeds. Go live the new life. 
Go live this new life that you've been given in Christ. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's Ephesians 2, but you've been made alive in Christ. Go live that life in Christ. Don't settle for the darkness. Go walk in the light. Live lives marked by humility and self-control. Seek to put others ahead of yourselves, your spouses, your parents, your children, your bosses, your employees. Live, Live lives that are marked by the character of Christ and do so with his power behind you as you become more like him. That could have been enough, but Paul says, you know what, I gotta give you one more thing. Because Paul, as any good Christian, uh, any of us who are Christians should know, uh, Paul understands that it's really easy to understand our truths and to know what we're supposed to do, our doctrines and our deeds, but to be swayed from those things, to be pulled off from what we believe and to be discouraged in living out what we know to live out. He understands acutely the role of our adversary in keeping us uh, from living this life that we've been given in Christ. And so he ends his letter with war talk and an emphasis on our defense. He implores us to be ready for the spiritual battle that we are in and to stand strong in Jesus or to put it another way, to be Jesus strong. When I I used to play that game, King of the Mountain, we had a ringer, his name was Roger. He was one of those kids who started uh, a year late in school and then had to skip a grade or had to like stay back a grade. So he's like, you know, shaving in fourth grade. He's that kid. (laughs) And, And he's huge, he's just massive. And he wouldn't always play King of the Mountain with us. Sometimes he had other cool friends, but whoever got Roger on their team, they were just gonna be on the mountain the whole day. Because here's the deal. Even if someone came and tackled you, and, and no one would come and like tackle Roger, no one in their right mind would mess with Roger. Okay? So Roger just kind of stood there and he waited for you to get tackled, and then he'd come up behind you, and whoever was grabbing you, they, he just grabbed them and just with one arm tossed them off the mountain, right? It was like playing with a teacher. I mean, Roger was that big. And so, you know, you just didn't even, you, you weren't even fearful. You knew Roger was on the hill. And when it comes to this unseen war that rages around us. Isn't it good to know that Jesus has our back, that Jesus is the one who will fight with us and for us and through us? We're gonna talk about that over the next few weeks. Uh, If you're unaware of this unseen war, this unseen battle, it's raging right now. You're in the middle of it. Uh, Has anybody ever been in church and you've been like, well, that was weird. Like Tom was at the end of the Bama in one of the services a few weeks ago, and he's giving the gospel. And it was right then that this little kid, uh, three or four rows back from us, just lost his ever-loving mind. Now, little kids lose their mind. But how come this little kid loses his mind in the midst of the gospel presentation? I'll tell you why. I believe that Satan and his forces are like, okay, kid, cry. Time. I don't want anybody hearing the gospel. Let's make this happen. Last night, I'm about to start preaching. And one of our uh, you know, fellows here at our church uh, he, he just kind of had an episode here, in the, a physical episode in the front, uh, and per, thankfully, I, I believe he's okay and everything's fine, but the whole service stopped down on the Saturday night that I'm about to start preaching on spiritual warfare. Is anybody connecting the dots here? I mean, that, that, in my 15 years of being your pastor, that's happened like twice, and always in the back rows to where that person could be attended to, but it was right here in the second row. We weren't doing anything else except praying. And I was standing there just thinking, yeah, Lord, of course this is happening. Can I tell you about my week? I went on a 
uh, a vacation with some friends uh, that you know, might have involved some, some rounds of golf, and, and my shoulder went out. And I couldn't swing the golf club correctly. Everybody say boo-hoo. <laughs> but it's frustrating. You look forward to something all year long and you can't do it the way you want to do it. It's frustrating. The day before I left, I'm pulling up to Clay and Parsons in my truck. I hear a loud pop and all the gears in the rear end of my truck are gone. Oh yeah, no, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> I come home and I get, <clears throat> I get back in time to go to my daughter's uh, uh, Florida State graduation on Friday. It was a momentous day. But you know what <laughs> my, my chief memory of that day is? The, all the idiots who are going to that Florida State uh, graduation. Everybody who, they're not idiots, but all, the, all these people who are parking in all the good spots and crowding up the lanes that I was trying to get my daughter to the convention center in and, and taking all the good seats so that I had to wait for those three and a half hours or whatever it was to watch my kid walk across the stage from binocular distance. Are you with me? Yeah, there's all kinds of things. If you just pause for a second, here's, here's what I know about our, our adversary, and we'll talk more about him, but he loves to ruin things. He loves to distract us from God and his glory. He loves to pull us away from his truth and what he's called us to. And he, he is constant in his efforts to keep us from those things. Everybody be careful. As we talk about this, it's, it's going to be happening to you. I pray you're more aware of it so you can pray against it. I pray you're, 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 you're better understanding what it is to put on the armor of God and, and defend yourself in it. But you just watch as we talk about our adversary and his efforts against us. He's going to ramp it up. That's just how he works. Today and over the next few weeks, we want to answer this question, how do we stand strong and in the unseen war? Three things this morning from these three verses that we read in Ephesians 6. First one is this, we need to know our opposition. Even in my little piddly Christian school basketball league uh, in college, uh, we would send uh, assistant coaches and managers to scout other teams before we played them. And we'd figure out the plays that they ran and who their good players were so that we could be best prepared to stop them and win the game. Uh, if we're going to be effective in this battle, it's not enough for us to know who we're with, Jesus. It's, it's important for us to know who we're against. Uh, we should bring a watchful eye in preparation to this unseen war. So here, here's who we, uh, the Bible tells us we're against. Now, we know that who we're up against, Satan and those that follow him, uh, they're powerful. They're powerful. We know that from verse 12 here in Ephesians 6. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, the rulers and the authorities and against the uh, cosmic powers, the cosmos kratores over this present darkness, uh, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Some scholars have actually taken these titles and, and uh, you know, deduced that maybe these were actually rankings in the army of our adversary. You know, like uh, general, colonel, whatever, you know, it, uh, uh, that may or may not be. But, it, but certainly we can agree that all of these titles are titles of power. We, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood in this unseen war. We wrestle against spiritual forces, powerful forces, rulers, authorities. Uh, they, they have a strength in them. And, and listen, let me get this right out, out of the chute. They aren't more powerful or even equally powerful to our God. Not even close. In fact, if they have any power, it is at the behest or in the per, with the permission of the God who has created them and who is completely over them. Are you with me? And in God's infinite wisdom that I don't understand, he has purposed uh, in this period of history or in this 
phase of creation to allow Satan to continue to rule in this world even as he has ultimately has power over all things. We know that because like John says in 1 John 5, 19, uh, we know that we are from God. Those of us who are in Christ, we are with the victor. We are with the winner. Is everybody with me on that? But the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's why it's entirely understandable that Satan uh, would go to Jesus in the temptation of Christ in Matthew chapter 4 and be like, hey, let me take you up here on this high roost and let me show you the kingdoms of the world. They're mine and they can be yours if you'll just bend the knee and worship me. Remember that? That was one of the temptations that our adversary put before our Savior Jesus. He did that because uh, for this time, uh, he has that right, that power. He is the prince of the power of the air, as we read earlier in Ephesians. So without overdoing this, uh, our enemy's powerful. Is he more powerful than us? Absolutely. We're flesh and blood. He is spirit, and he is more powerful than us. But throughout this series, don't ever forget that it is not a fair fight between our Savior and our adversary. This is not deism. We don't believe that there's these two equal powers, you know, the dark side of the force and the good side of the force like Star Wars. Okay? There is God and there is his adversary. But when it comes to us and our adversary, He's more powerful than us. He's evil. It tells us again in Ephesians 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities and the powers and, and uh, 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 the rulers, uh, the, the, but the, the cosmic powers of this present, what's the word? Darkness. And against the spiritual forces of, what's the word? Poneros, evil. Uh, there's nothing endearing acute about our enemy. I grew up watching you know, some of the cartoons uh, you know, that uh, Emperor's New Groove was one of my favorites. My kids would watch this cartoon when we were growing up, and Gronk was in it. Does anybody remember Gronk? And Gronk had these two angels that would go on either side of him, and, or, or one was an angel and one was a demon. And the, and the demon Gronk was really mean and, and you know, kind of, but he, was, he played the foil. He played the clown, right? Uh, and sometimes we could think, oh, you know, Satan's not that bad. He's not, he, he's, you know, he's, he's just mischievous. No, you've underestimated your enemy if you fail to understand that he is 100% all the time evil. He, he, he doesn't have any good in him. It's, it's, it's not a, a part of his existence. Uh, he is dead set on the destruction and the death of anything that God has made for good. While we look for opportunities to improve because our God image in us is always uh, or should be always looking to see if there's ways uh, that we can become more like him, better in this life. Uh, Satan is so given over to evil that he's always looking for ways to deprove things, to make things worse, and he'll stop at nothing to do so. So he's powerful, more powerful than us. He's evil, and there's no good in him. And then he fights dirty. He just fights dirty. He's a, he's a rabbit puncher, a below-the-belt hitter. Uh, in verse 11, it tells us to put on the whole armor of God that, that you and I may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. When it says schemes there, um, it's referring to the, the methods by which our adversary comes against us. And here's what you gotta know. Uh, Satan has for thousands of years existed in eternity in, in, in our reality, um, 
cooking up new ways to steer God's creation away from himself. He and his followers are virtuosos that employ all kinds of tactics to trip us up. Sometimes Satan comes to us as a bully. Anybody read that verse in 1 Peter where it says, um, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I've always been taught this verse is, you know, emphasis on prowl. Like I, I'll watch the Nat Geo station every once in a while. I love the lions, you know. Their coats are the same colors as the, the Serengeti grass, and they'll just kind of hide it until something stupid gets close enough for them to run out and grab it, right? We think about sneak attacks when we think about lions. But it's really interesting here that as Peter writes, he, he, he says, uh, the devil prowls around, and then he, he totally blows the, the lion's cover like a roaring lion. I don't know, you ever heard a lion roar? Kind of, you know, whoa, what was that? That's kind of a scary sound. How close is that? Is it behind bars? These are questions we might have. Now, sometimes Satan doesn't go around the sides. He doesn't come in through the back door. Sometimes he comes right through the front door and he bullies us. A lot of times he chooses to bully us through the people that we're around. Like he'll, he'll get that coworker that uh, is not committed to our God or uh, our, you know, doesn't worry about families as much as us, and that coworker will continually make fun of us for not going out with him after work. What's the matter? She got, she got you wrapped up so tight you can't even go out for whatever he wants you to go out for? And then he, he gets you that far, and then he, he says, well, let's go do this, and let's go do this, and let's go do this, and he bullies you, shames you into shame. <laughs> Come on, no one will know. What are you, chicken? If I had all the do-overs for the times that I was in high school and in college and someone said to me, come on, what's the matter? Everybody's doing it. Sometimes Satan comes as a bully, but, mo- mo- as a bully, but most of the time he comes as a beguiler. He's sneaky. He disguises himself. Paul was sharing with his friends in Corinth about these thorns that were in his his side, this, this curse that had been placed on him. We don't really know what it is, but he, he says he prayed three times for God to remove, for his, his Lord to remove his, his thorn. And, and in 2 Corinthians 11, it says, uh, oh, I got the wrong verse. Can you wait? I'll, I'll talk about that verse later. This is a different one. <laughs> no, go back to it. I got to preach it now. Here it comes. <laughs> it's a good setup, though, for that verse. Can you remember that when we get there? It says in 2 Corinthians 11, we'll start there. It says about Satan and his sneakiness. It says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also, the demons that are beneath him, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, and their end will correspond to their deeds. That's a terrifying verse. Because you know what it's basically saying? It's basically saying that uh, Satan will come to you looking like he's good. He'll, he'll work through those who appear to be good. And he'll lead you astray through those people that he's steering in life. I'm so grateful that churches have never been influenced by our adversary through the leadership that's in them. Isn't that great? Are you picking up my sarcasm? How many, how many Christians have been led astray by a, a servant, a leader, in the church who has appeared to be good but who had given themselves over to their adversary in his direction in their lives. Uh, he loves to come at us. Some of his favorite methods 
uh, as a beguiler are to use heresy. Heresy is this, um, well, someone has defined it as, as truth out of proportion. Uh, it, he, Satan loves to take our truth and just overemphasize one piece of it to the point that we lose the whole truth altogether. Like in Galatians, read that book. In Galatians, the, the churches in Galatia had said, you know what, uh, this Christian faith had come from the Jewish faith and there's still these ties between the two and so we're gonna emphasize the Jewish customs, uh, circumcision and the feasts and all the, the ways that we were Jewish before. And in fact, if you're a Gentile and you wanna be Christian, you've gotta become Jewish in order to become Christian. There's nothing wrong with being a Jewish Christian. There's nothing wrong with the feasts or any of the signs of the Jewish faith, but if you put them on par with faith in Jesus Christ, well, you've kinda lost everything that is our faith in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And so even in our own Bibles, we have these evidences of heresies that God had to contend with, these truths that had been inflated. A lot of times, he doesn't just inflate truths or sides of truths. A lot of times, he diminishes certain truths. That's what's happening in the church today. People are just being like, well, you know, we always used to believe that, but we don't need to believe that anymore because culture's shifted. Things have changed. We'll just kind of follow what's going on in the world, and, and God will just have to understand. Or I'll take these parts of the faith, and I will certainly, I will, I will be adamant in holding to those, but these ones, eh, they're not very convenient for me. And so I'll allow license into my life. I'll have some of the truth, but reject portions of the truth for my own sake. Satan loves to use heresy and perversion of our truth. He loves to use doubt. Anybody in here ever doubted in your faith? Your pastor has. Yeah, Thomas, he doubted that Jesus had been resurrected. Uh, and we all are prone to Thomas' reactions. And doubt's fine. Let me just be honest with you. Doubt, if it leads, if, if questions happen in your faith, is God cool with that? Does anybody think God's okay with us wondering? Yeah, we, we're human. We're going to wonder stuff. It's, it's where doubt becomes certainty. Where doubt, you know, how many kids have gone to college and heard some professor get up in a in a, in a classroom and start un, un, you know, packing or, or deconstructing their faith and they're like, wait a minute, I've always wondered about that, I doubt that, and now I've heard someone authenticate that and that's my new credo, and off I go in my life. He loves to poke holes in our truth and lead us some, most of the time subtly away, slowly, gradually away from what we've always held to be true. It's what happened in the garden, right? Eve, well, how, how did Satan get Eve? Seriously, did God really say? He just subtly poked holes and caused Eve to question to the point of action. In, in all of these things, we can certainly say that Satan is an expert in guerrilla warfare. He loves to come at us when we least expect him, catching us with sneak attacks. Now, he comes at me, I don't know about you, but he comes at me when I'm tired, okay, physically just kind of drained, uh, uh, emotionally kind of flat. Uh, that's when I'm most prone. That's when my armor's off, right? You know when else he comes at me, though? Right after there's been a great victory in my life. Like right after I've, I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with someone who received Christ, right after, you know, Easter or the Bema or one of these you know, high, uh, you know, attendance and, uh, you know, uh, great Sundays where he was lifted high. You know what, and this is the funk that I have, I don't know about yours, uh, but I'll come home and Satan will actually whisper in my ear, hey man, that was so great, you deserve some sin. Isn't that weird? 
You've done so well. The ledger is so high. You are so much in the black. Little red won't matter. Hmm. We need to know our adversary. He's powerful. He is evil. And he fights dirty. Then we need to know our limitations. It says in verse 12, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This isn't a flesh and blood fight. This is a spiritual battle. Our flesh and blood are useless in this war. And if we could just figure that out and move on, understand that in and of ourselves we're bringing a knife to a gunfight. This is not going to work. Then we can get on to the things that will work. But we are slow on that sometimes, aren't we? How do we fail in our flesh and blood? Uh, I think there's two main areas. We choose to believe too much in ourselves. I can handle this. I'll go to counseling, and I am not against counseling. I do counseling, but listen to me. Listen to me. Apart from the power of God, apart from God changing things, uh, I don't believe that you can have um, you know, full healing, full confidence in you just fixing you apart from God being a part of it. Are you with me? It's got to be hand in hand. It's not one or the other. We can't just kind of roll up our sleeves, pull up our bootstraps and say, I'll just try harder in this fight. We'll lose. The Ephesians <laughs> knew this firsthand because they saw the power of their adversary in their very church. Uh, it tells us in Acts chapter 19 as the church of Ephesus was kind of getting going uh, that, that Paul, uh, he was so powerful in the Lord that he was able to heal. His shadow would actually heal people. He was so, mm. and, and so people saw this and they wanted this. And there, were these, uh, there was this Jewish rabbi, a guy named Sceva. He had seven sons, and these seven sons saw Paul doing all these incredible things, and they said, well, we're going to try that. And so they tried saying the same things uh, to demon-possessed people that Paul had said. And you may remember what the demon-possessed person said to the sons of Sceva? He said this phrase. He said, well, I know Jesus. All the demons know who Jesus is, and they know not the mess, just so you're clear. The, the demons know Jesus, and they shudder, James tells us, Okay. So he says, I know Jesus, and he says, it's really interesting, I heard of Paul. Not that Paul's got anything cool in him, just Paul's got Jesus. I know Jesus, I've heard about Paul, but I don't know you guys at all. And does anybody remember what happened after that? It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. This demon-possessed guy takes the seven men, the sons of Sceva, and he whoops them, bloody, strips them naked, and sends them running out in the streets of Ephesus. The end. What a crazy story. What a powerful opponent. One against whom our flesh and blood have no effect. Sometimes we fail in our flesh and blood because we choose to believe too much in ourselves. But other times, uh, our other failure in our flesh and blood is we refuse to believe enough in our adversary. And let me confront this right now, because some of you are kind of coming from different backgrounds. Uh, so, so this is where Satan wants us to live as Christians. He wants us to live on this end of the pole or this end of the pole. On this end of the pole, he is all-powerful behind every bush, and everything is about him. And he loves for you to be obsessed with the demonic or with the uh, spiritual war that you're in to the point where you're no earthly good, okay? So if that's where you're from, if there was a demon under every bush, that's what you were taught, come this way, okay? Settle down. Don't give him more than he's due. Are you with me? But if you're over here like I was, and the spiritual side of our spiritual lives weren't super emphasized, it was more behaviors, do this, don't do that, 
and you haven't really tied into the fact that there is a spiritual war going on around you, and you've just said, well, you know, Satan's probably real, kind of real, you know, but, he's, but God's all-powerful and he's not, and I don't have to worry about him. Okay, come this way. Because this war that we're in, it's real. And you kind of putting your head in the sand and saying, you know, it's not real, it's not that big a deal. It's not going to reduce the effects or the impacts of the war that you're in. Are you with me? Like, you can sit here and tell me that malware and viruses on your computer, I don't believe in those. Those aren't real, so I'm not going to protect my data. I don't believe you can steal someone's identity. So I'm just going to leave it. Roll the dice. Hope for the best. We'd be a fool if we did that. It's the same thing with our adversary. We need to know our, our opponent. We need to know our our enemy, we need to know ourselves. And then finally, we're gonna be talking about this over the next four or five weeks. Now, we need to live life Jesus strong. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and then the strength of his might. Uh, that's a, a middle imperative. The imperative voice is the voice of command in the Greek language. Uh, excuse me, I said middle, I meant passive. But this is a passive imperative. So sometimes when we read this, we're like, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? How do I get strong in the Lord? It, well, it doesn't mean you do anything. It means you lay down and let the Lord be strong for you. It's a passive imperative. Let the Lord do the action in you and for you. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. In Colossians, uh, we read this from Paul. He says, And you who were dead in trespasses and, and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. We've been saved by grace. Everybody with me on this? This he set aside. And how did he do it? At the cross. He nailed our sins to the cross. He paid the price at the cross. But that's not the only thing that happened at the cross. At the cross... He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. When you think of the cross, don't just think of your salvation. That's, that's there. It's where it happened. But you think of victory. Because at the cross, Jesus once and for all triumphed over the powers who are against us. See, because Jesus created our adversary, and then he defeated our adversary, and he is in complete control of our adversary. So we are to be strong in the Lord and in his strength. And then there's this, this other imperative in verse 11. It says in verse 11, uh, keep going, verse 11. Yeah, there you go. Put on the whole armor of God. This is a different kind of imperative. It's not a passive imperative. It's a middle imperative. It means you do for you. You do you, boo-boo. <laughs> yeah. You, you put on the armor of God. And this is the great paradox of this faith that we're in. Yes, we've got to let God be our strength. We've got to let Jesus fight this battle for us. But we are best prepared for this battle that Jesus is going to fight for us when we put on ourselves the armor of God. It's the he do and the we do. We allow him to fight for us, and we seek to be as prepared as possible so that when he does fight for us, he fights to great effect. We're going to talk about putting on the armor of God, and it kind of reminds me of many of the features that you're going to go and benefit from as you drive away from here. Our cars are, are safety um, prepared, right? Like, I don't know how many years ago someone figured out we should probably put belts in these things, right? And it wasn't until I was out of high school that it actually became a law. Does anybody old this old enough, right? 
<clears throat> so now you wear your seatbelt. Yes, most of you started driving, you don't even think about it anymore. Click, you're in there. But they've got all these other buttons and doohickeys now that make your car safe. Airbags, great idea. All in favor of airbags? Yeah, me too. You know what they have now, though? They have actually like sensors all over these cars. Your car will stop on its own. Some of you, if you have enough money. <laughs> uh, but other cars, I rented this car. My car doesn't have this. It was, it's 10 years old. But my, I rented this car a couple year, uh, years ago that actually if a car gets close enough to you, there's this little button that, that'll allow your seat to buzz every time a car gets too close to you. I turned it off. It was starting to freak me out. Every time a car would pass me on the highway, like, hey, you know, and I was like, whoa, hey. <clears throat> That's too much. That's too much. But, but, but here's, here's a little known fact. Almost all of your safety features in your car can somehow be disabled. Maybe not by yourself, but, but they, be, they can be like, there's a light in my dash right now that has, you know, the picture of someone in a seat and an airbag blowing up in front. It's red. I know that means that there's something wrong with my airbag. I get that, okay? Two and two airbag, right? Have I done anything about the airbag? No, because I'm not going to get in a wreck. Come on. Why would I even worry about that? Any, don't, raise, don't raise them too high. Anybody ever got, ever got in your car and forgotten a seat, uh, seatbelt? Anybody still do that? Yeah, some of you? Okay, shame on you. You can disable all these things. They can be on board but not useful is my point. Here's what we have in Christ. We have all that we need to fight this battle. He's given us the armor. He's saying every day choose to put it on. Put it on. Let me fight your fight, but you do your part. You understand what needs to be in place so that together we can win this war that's already won. I'm excited to talk to you about these things. And I want to leave you with this one truth. As we talk about all of this unseen war that's going on around us, just remember, in the end, Jesus not will win. Jesus has won. He cried on the cross these amazing words, it is finished. So whatever you're facing, your God is bigger than. Your God is stronger than. And even though he may not remove you from those circumstances, even though you may have to face the, the pain and the struggle that you're in, he will walk with you through it and give you the victory. As you are strengthened by him and as you put on what he provides you in the armor of God. Can we stand and we'll be dismissed? Lord, it's a good start. It's a good start for us as we talk about these uh, amazing truths. Would you lead us into life as uh, we sang earlier? Um, ever praising you. May your praise ever be on our lips. May we see you as our strength. May you grant us, God, uh, uh, the wisdom to choose you every day to put on this armor that we're going to talk about and to have you uh, as our defender, our protector, to walk with you through whatever this life brings. Thanks for winning the victory. Thanks for being in control even when we're not. Give us the confidence that we need to trust you in everything in life. I pray this for my brothers and sisters. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Love you guys. Come back next week. We'll talk more. Have a great week. Walk in victory. Walk in victory.